Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined by St Rock's President Stevie Mullen, welcome back Stevie. Thanks Paul, thanks for having me, last time I was here with some great guests since I've been here so good luck, well done. No, it's always a pleasure to see you, uh, representing St Rock's, coming in and discussing the topics of the day for Celtic. What we're going to be speaking a lot about today is how you would line up in two different formations, there's always this debate um, around whether or not we play a 3-5-2, Stevie, or a 4-4-2, just to, in its simplest terms, its most basic terms. And, you know, if that was the case, how do you line up? It's quite an interesting debate. 
you're going to have a read through the, the squad that's at your disposal and um, hopefully we'll get some comments and input from those listening on YouTube, Facebook and on Twitter as to how you line up. Have a wee think about the game this weekend, Ross County, on Saturday. And if you were to line up as a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2, how would you line up? We're also going to be speaking about various other topics, including the value of Odson Edward. When you see players like Ollie Watkins moving for £33 million, how much would it take to for Odson Edward to leave Celtic. We're also going to be looking at various other issues um, in relation to Paddy Roberts' name keeps uh, cropping up. Lewis Ferguson has been mentioned. Um, Tom Roger and Griffiths set to return at some stage, but we're also looking at the fact that it's the anniversary of Jockstein's uh, passing today, Stevie. Um, we're also going to be looking at some other important matters such as suicide prevention, um, you know, drug prevention. And the Donate a Ticket um, initiative that St Rocks were involved in. So we'll start off by you going through your options in terms of the Celtic squad and then we'll take it from there. Just wish to all your viewers good afternoon. This is the official Celtic squad. So we're going to be looking for your 3 5 2 formation and a 4 4 2 formation. Not what you think Neil Lennon's going to play, but your own opinion. So your three goalkeepers. Is Barkas, Bain, and Hazard. Your defenders, Duffy, Julien, Aya, Elhamid, Bolly, Taylor, Frank Paul, Ralston, and Beaton. The midfielders are Sorrow, Connell, McGregor, Encham, Turnbull, Brown, Forrest, Christie, Rogic, Elianusi, and Johnston. Edward, Ayeti, Klamala, and Griffiths are your four forwards. You've got three out-and-out out central defenders plus two who can play there in El Hamid and Beaton. El Hamid turned out for Israel last week in a left-sided central defence role, which was a news to me. The full-backs are El Hamid and Frimpong for the right, possibly including Ralston, although he seems to be well out of the picture. The left-backs are Taylor and Bolly. The white guys are Forrest, Frimpong, possibly Christie. Elian Rousey, although he's described as a forward-stroke winger, and Mikey Johnson when he comes back. Your central mids are Sorrow, Connell, McGregor, Encham, Turnbull, Brown, Christie and Rogic. And up front is Edward, Ayeti, Klamala and Griffiths. So whatever teams that you pick, we'll be coming back to this later on in the show where both myself and Paul will put our teams forward and the reasons why we've done it. But I think it'd be a good wee exercise for everybody to get involved in and see how much we differ and that shows you how difficult Neil Lennon's job would be. Oh, it is. And on a game-by-game game basis as well, Stevie, you know, there's uh, lots to consider when you're coming up against specific teams who play with 11 at the back, for example, which uh, a lot of sides do when they're playing Celtic, particularly um, at home. So, yes, it is going to be interesting. I've written down my side, so I'll uh, read through that with confidence at the end of the show. Uh, let us know what your, your team would be. Uh, on a 3-5-2 basis and on a 4-4-2 basis, but we'll open up the show with uh, some words on the late, great Jock Steen, Stevie, you know, and before coming into this show, I always remember he was, he, he passed away on the night my cousin was born um, and my cousin was Danny after Danny McGrain and had we known, I'm pretty sure he'd have been John, uh, his big brother was Kenny after Kenny Dalgleish and then the girl comes along and her name's Claire after Brian McClare. 
so you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and obviously the great, the late great Jock Steen revolutionised Celtic, didn't he, back in '65? Yep. As I say, when we were speaking just off there, you know, Jim Simonetti's got a great personal involvement with Jimmy Johnston, you know, and the greatest ever Celtic. Personally, I don't think we should have ever chosen a greatest ever Celt because I think there's so many people worthy of it. Mr. Steen would be one of them. You know, he's, he was only 62 years of age when he passed away, you know. But as a young child, he always seemed to be a man, you know, a great stature, a powerful man, you know, and then to die so suddenly and tragically, really, really heartbreaking for everybody associated with Celtic and Scottish football, probably world football. Mm-hmm. He was held in that much regard. But his record at Celtic, if you take it through, we'll go back to his beginning. Again, another gentleman who was grounded in junior football with Blantyre Vicks before he went on to Albion Rovers. Then I think this is a correct pronounced Clarelli Town. Mm-hmm. And then back to Celtic. He managed Dunfermline, won a Scottish Cup, moved to Hibernian, won a Summer Cup, had a short spell and caretaker manager of Scotland before he moved to Celtic where he won a majestic 10 titles, 8 Scottish Cups, 8 League Cups, a European Cup, 5 Glasgow Cup, 1 Drybra Cup. At the probably the peak of Scottish football, Mr Steen had a win ratio of 70.6%. Absolutely unbelievable, you know, at the real top levels of football. And then with Scotland, he won a Rose Cup. So, just to, as we're at this present time, I'm going to only give you three quotes that Mr. Steen made, you know, that are still systematic and up to date, you know, even now. Mm. So the first one is, football is nothing without fans, which we're all suffering from just now when nobody's allowed in due to the pandemic. And the next one is, maybe the guys who are agitating for a move, cups are not won by individuals, but by men in a team who put their clubs before personal prestige. So, again, it's a good wee message to the guys who are maybe agitating behind the scenes. And then this is my absolute favourite. Unlike many other Celts, I cannot claim Celtic was my first love, but I can say it will be my last. God bless you, Mr Steen. Oh, God bless you indeed. One thing I keep reminding people of as well, uh, Stevie, really is the U- the European performance under Jock Steen was, you know, it was astonishing. And I always use this stat, and I know Steen came in in 1965, but between 64 and 76, in 12 seasons, Celtic reached at least the quarter-final of European competition on nine occasions. Now, you can take one of them off, eight of them were under Jock Steen. That's incredible. That's eight, at least eight quarter-finals of European competition. That's astonishing. But we were an absolute European superpower then. You know, we played in the final in 67 and then we played in the final in 1970. There was only four changes in that team. You know, so even if they have these guys playing at that peak, it was an, a, a great achievement by the manager. Mm-hmm. You know, great testament to the players that they kept themselves fit. And and again, loyalty to the club. You know, they didn't run away the first sign of success. But only four changes. One of them was Evan Williams. The other two, Danny McGrain, Jim Brogan and John Hughes, who was part of the Lisbon Lions as well. You know, that, that, that was your changes for 60, 70, 70. Just minor tweaks. Yep. Minor yep. tweaks, Stevie. And again, I, I've spoken to quite a few people who are involved in the Feyenoord game. George Conley, of course, uh, uh, David Hay being two of the main ones. And, you know, speaking to them about the disappointment that you felt 
uh, at losing a European Cup final. And the attitude, and it wasn't blasé, but the attitude was, and Danny McGrain said this as well, because he travelled um, with Kenny Dalglish and the rest of the reserve kids uh, as part of the party. They were never going to be part of the, the squad for the first team, Stevie, but they were part of the party. And uh, the feeling amongst the young guys were, was that they're going to get another chance. Now, they didn't take it for granted, but they thought, right, we've been beaten in this final, but there'll be other European Cup finals. And that is incredible to think back that that was the the culture around Celtic at that time. Oh, but we'll get to other European Cup finals. We almost did, of course, two semi-finals. But I, I just love thinking back. And, you know, we lost Pat McCluskey fairly recently. And it was interesting to point out at that time that he played in two European Cup semi-finals, 1972-1974. And he played in all four games. And he actually scored in the penalty shootout against Inter Milan. We've got a we've got a great European heritage, and I think that's why when we get onto the subject, and I said it again yesterday, I want Celtic back at Europeans' top table, and the only the only way you can do that is if you move it to Scottish football. That's another podcast for another day, but that's my great belief because I just feel that at every turn they're pulling the rug from under your feet, Stevie. One of the big things you're, we're talking about. Uh, Jock Steen today. It was Jock Steen who originally came up with the Colts idea. 1968, he wanted a Celtic Colts team in the second division. Um, the foresight of that man was unbelievable. We're now talking about it in 2020. He came up with that idea in 1968. He, he knew that players could develop in a competitive-edged um, game rather than in the reserve. Celtic reserves, you know, they were famously, they were winning games 9-0, 12-0. And um, it was almost too easy for them. But to take that step up, a lot of them couldn't displace the Lisbon Lions because they were the champions of Europe. And Jock's team wanted them to play tough, competitive football. And the powers that be didn't allow it. I just think there's a, there's a glass ceiling in Scottish football that Celtic are banging their head against. Mr Steam is a visionary, an mm. absolute visionary for these things. I've seen you putting Kevin on the spot on Monday. So now I'm going to put you in the spot. I don't know any poems. No, no, it certainly wouldn't be that. But I, I read the, the book about the quality street gang. Absolutely mm. fantastic. So well done for that. Was What's the most quality street kids who played in the one senior game for Celtic? I probably mentioned this in the book, didn't I? I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. So let's have a wee look, right? Well, we would probably say not a goalie because uh, only one keeper made an appearance from the reserves. Danny McGrain, and I'm thinking Davey Hay, George Connolly. They would have, they have played in the one game. They would have all played in the same game. Dalgleish, although he came in a wee bit later. McCary. McCary, and potentially, you're, you're looking also at Wilson, who had a lengthy career, Davidson. So there, there's the guys that played the most games. Danny McGrain, Davey Hay, George Connolly, Kenny Dalgleish, Lou McCary, Paul Wilson and Davidson. Did they ever all play in the same team? One, two, three. Four, five, seven. six, seven. I would say a maximum of seven. seven. If they played it in, all in the same game, it would be really on a minimal occasions. There was a famous game where we, we beat uh, Hamilton Ackies 10 nothing, and it was a two-legged uh, cup affair. And in the return leg, we played a lot of young guys and we still won 4-2. So players like John Gorman were playing that night. Bobby Wraith was in goals. Kenny Dalglish played that night. Um, but some of the bigger players or so-called kind of more established quality street kids weren't playing. Um, Vic Davidson didn't play all that regularly. 
I would say a maximum of seven. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe half a dozen, Stevie. But if you have Mr Steen's qualities, you know, that he's produced the Lisbon lines and then get that depth of squad, know. you know, it's, it's an absolutely magnificent achievement. I, I really rate highly guys like Bill Shankly, mm. Alec Ferguson, but M- Mr Steen must rival anybody that Scotland or Britain's ever produced in the managerial front, you know, really revolutionised Celtic. You I know, think. You've got Willie Mealy and James McGrory the past, but Martin O'Neill and then Mr Steen's still head and shoulders above any of them. I think what you need to consider as well, Stevie, and no disrespect to any of the managers you've mentioned, and in particular um, Alex Ferguson, whose achievements were incredible, but they were influenced by Steen. You know, Steen was a trailblazer uh, through Europe, winning the European Cup, first British team. He was the guy that done it first. And I think you've always got to respect that. You know, someone might take that back and take it out a wee bit further and win a few more European trophies, and that's fine, and you've got to give them credit for it. But when somebody's been the first and they've been the trailblazer, you know, the first one to actually win that trophy, a huge amount of weight needs to be carried with that. You've just reminded me talking about books. When I was doing the um, the Nearly Mocking book and when the updated version finally hits the shelves, when whenever that may be, I'll probably expand on this story, but there is a game when Albion Rovers are playing Greenock Morton and centre-half for Albion Rovers is a Mr John Steen centre-forward for Morton because he did start off as a centre-forward was Neely Mocking and Neely scored a hat-trick that day. <laughs> and um, there's very little, because it wasn't a top-league game, a top-flight game, there's very little in the press at that time, but they do speak in Neely Mocking turning Steen at one point. And that's maybe the first time they ever came into contact with each other. Uh, back in the 1950s so I thought that was tremendous in but fact I it think, might even have been the late 40s but I think even to be give these guys are due they're all very respectful of Mr Steen mm. you know Alec Ferguson Bill Shankly before he died God rest him you know it was the boss the boss the boss you know you know Jock Steen you're a, Jock, you're a mortal Aye. you know the, the respect that he, he earned which was greatly deserved I, I think is testament to him you know so uh, I think it's fitting that we should pay our respects to him today. You know, it's 35 years and it seems as if it was only yesterday. You know, a, a great, great loss to Scotland, never mind Scottish football. Oh, without a doubt, Stevie. So, yeah, thanks for sharing your, your quotes because there are some brilliant quotes over the years from Jock Steen. The one that uh, some other clubs try to claim is uh, football without fans is nothing. Uh, and, you know, did we not even see it being attributed to Matt Busby at some point during <laughs> lockdown on a big banner? But, uh, yeah, it was. Jo- he had a way with words. He had a way with words. And then there's actually a great book out there um, that uh, was written by Leo Moynihan, and it's talking about, you know, Shankly, Busby, Steen, and it's looking at the kind of working class background and qualities that they had where they were managers of men. Now, I'm not being sexist here, they were managers of men, they knew how to manage men at the coalface, if you like, uh, quite literally. And that can never be reproduced because you're never going to have someone in that kind of upbringing, in that workplace where you've had to go and do a shift down a pit and look after a team of men. We'll never be in that situation again because times have moved on. Will we ever produce, in Scotland, will we ever produce that type of manager again? I think it's very unlikely. I think the difference, and I've seen Jose Mourinho say this a few weeks ago as well, and it's something I firmly believe in. The guys who played for Mr Steen were all men, young, age-wise. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, 
weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah, love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingaroner, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile, unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. He says when it into Chelsea, Lampard, Terry, were men at 23. Mm-hmm. Now he's dealing with kids at 28 and 29. Aye. You know, upbringing. I heard you speak the other day about even the salaries. When Kevin Keegan got transferred for his record amount, his wage was £440. The average wage he did man in the street was 40 mm-hmm. So although it was a lot more, there was still only 10, 11 times as much. Now if a guy's earning 500 quid and a player's getting £500,000 a week, the difference is phenomenal. You know, Mr Steen's ability would allow him to manage the football and he still wouldn't have been able to place even in the modern game. But would he have been able to deal with all these circuses that surround the game? It would have been so difficult for them. Oh, it would have. Well, a couple of things came to my mind, Stevie, looking at the Quality Street Gang era and that um, the culture of this 1960s footballer being very much different from the 70s era. You think of the 70s where the introduction of like, and I know Georgie Best, you know, made his introduction in the 60s, but he was the archetypal playboy footballer and it was the big money and it was the style and everything else that went along with being a footballer. And... That 1970s uh, culture did seep into the quality street because when you think of the big money moves and people chasing the dollar, something we didn't see with the Lions, none of the Lisbon Lions forced a move. You know, Bobby Murdoch was devastated when he was freed. John Hughes, Willie Wallace, they didn't want to move. And you look through that team and it was the same with all of them. You know, some would, would argue that Jimmy Johnston had a few years left in him when he left Celtic. But in the 70s, it was almost as if certain players... We're looking for that big money move. And I remember um, being surprised when I was speaking to Tommy Doherty, who's still going strong in his 90s, ex-Celtic player, of course. And um, he had been asked for advice from his friend, Frank O'Farrell, who at that point was the Man United manager. This is the early 70s. About a, a Scottish talent who could maybe slot in at centre-half, a ball-playing centre-half. And Tommy Doherty says, there's only one, and it's George Conley. There's only one for you if you want to spend. Now, it was going to be a record-breaking transfer. And I'd never heard of that. I know that Tommy himself tried to sign up for Man United in the late 70s. So I had to try and corroborate that story before I put it in the book. And the guy that corroborated it, the gentleman that corroborated it, was Sean Fallon. So when I spoke to Sean on the Great Western Road, I asked him that story. He says, oh, you know, Man United made a bid, but there was no way Jock was going to let him go. 
So obviously the third part of that story is I put it to George Conley 40 years later and they had never heard that Man United were even interested. So there was a firm offer on the table from Man United. George Conley wasn't even told about it until, you know, I was able to uh, corroborate the story and then put it to George. And that shows you the difference and the change in terms of how the players were treated. Um, But the the kind of ownership that the club had on the players, but the control that a manager like Jockstein had. And I don't use that term uh, in a disparaging sense, Stevie. I think Steen had total control. And I think when you look at the other greats, you know, Don Revy, Brian Clough, they didn't just pick their loving guys on a Saturday. It was almost as if they controlled everything that was going on. Steen knew everything that was going on at that club. We don't have that either, do we? We've got a coach, we've got a manager, we've got a director of football, you've got board who buy players. I'm not saying about Celtic, but across the board, board members uh, and boards of directors who buy players. Some interfere with the picking of a team, you know, We've seen that at Hearts fairly recently and on a number of occasions. So they they were unique in that they controlled the football environment at that time. And again, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Again, even some of your guests have had on recently, they said they went up to the door of the old Celtic Park and chapped the door and Mr Steen would pull the window up. <laughs> you know what you want? You know, <laughs> take them into the office, sell them tickets. You know, that, that that's long, long gone. But the other wee thing is we we're talking about George Conley there and the bid coming in. Now the agent would be approaching the manager or yeah. the club saying, I've got somebody looking to buy my player. Mm-hmm. You know, so although they're contracted to Celtic or any other club, the agents control the player. You know, and sometimes the, the player won't be strong enough even to stand up to the agent, you know, and stay at his club. But even going back to that era, I listened to a previous podcast you'd done with Jim McCallion when mm-hmm. it was yourself and Kevin had done it. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, just follow the natural path into the pub game. You know, these guys are so wealthy now that's not something that would ever come into their thing you know they're wanting to do DJ sets you know it's, it's a totally different lifestyle we just need to appreciate it mm-hmm. and say I, I think Mr Steen and I'm probably one of my favourite Celts ever Sean Fallon you know really ruled our club and God bless them they were absolutely fantastic for us oh they definitely were Stevie and um, we should always remember them no matter what happens or how modern the game gets and how much it changes we should always remember these guys and what they did for Celtic I, I was never one for you know the, the statues but now that they have been erected at Celtic Park mm-hmm. I think that the Lisbon Lions and all these other Celtic greats should be right up the Celtic way in both sides looking over us as we walk up to the park on a, a Saturday afternoon, you know, and hopefully that will not be too long till we get back to Celtic Park. But I think it's a fitting tribute to all our greats and we shouldn't choose just a few because we've had so many great mm-hmm. players, mm-hmm. great managers, great people at the club, you know, who maybe didn't ever get to score a goal, but the club wouldn't be where they were without them. I think one of them that, that come to mind, uh, you know, an unsung hero, uh, was Angie who worked in the the laundry room? Yeah. Now that that sounds maybe bizarre to a lot of people, but you speak to anybody who worked uh, at Celtic in any capacity, but in particular the playing staff, and they all mention. Remember the John Barnes interview, mm-hmm. and he said that you know to seek solace, he would actually go down to the the washing room and sit for a cup of tea with Angie and John Clark. She sadly passed away in recent times, but there are so many unsung heroes at football clubs like Celtic. If you take it even back, you know, just how much Celtic football clubs developed, you know, over the recent years, when John Paul Taylor took over at the ticket office, Celtic Football Club employed, including the first team squad, not the backroom staff, 55 employees. Mm-hmm. I seen a few weeks ago when we were talking about doing the test game for the COVID, 
they've got nearly like a thousand staff in. So we've magnified for 55, including your players, to now over a thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, so the club's changed so much, probably just since Fergus came in. You know, yeah. but again, would we have had Celtic in the shape and form we were in if it wasn't for Mister Steen? Probably not. I think another wee funny story. Uh, nearly mocking the night before a big game, a cup final, even Celtic Rangers European game. People were coming. He's Celtic supporters club coaches were stopping on bypasses up, you know, and actually chapping in the back window, Mrs. Mocking's kitchen window, and she's passing out tickets. Seriously, you know that that is how it was operated back then, and now, and that's the that's the coach's wife yep. passing the tickets out, or or the coach himself getting the the chap on the door the night before, and um, you you now look at the whole the whole setup with, with Celtic, and it's for the better in terms of. We need to modern. We had to modernise, and we've done that. But the next stage for me, Stevie, is to get that European football and, and dying out at that top table. And I don't think it's ever going to happen in Scotland. Whilst we play in Scotland, I think we we need to take it a wee bit more seriously as a cup. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the last two Champions League exit were both preventable. Yeah. You know, do I think that right now Celtic will be in a position to? qualify for the semi-finals or the final Champions League no I don't but I think we're underachieving with what we've got at our disposal just now I'm 100% in agreement with you if we could get access to a different league with the riches I think we could be one of the top clubs in the world in a very short space of time mm-hmm. because I think we've got more access to a worldwide diaspora than many other clubs you know Real Madrid Barcelona, you know, th- these clubs are because of the TV deals. The English Premier League clubs are getting shown to China, Japan. So they're picking up all these guys. Fantastic revenue. I don't think it would be long before we would sort of conquer America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and then go into the Middle East, and then the Far East. Mm-hmm. I-, I think we would be courted by some of the biggest people in the world, you know, to get involved with your club. And we go back to small Paul Smith with you, you know, the Norwegian guys coming in, seeing Celtic part and going, don't want to sell you, we just want to be part of it. I know. You know, that's what we can offer people. The Aurys are clubs, you know, whatever. PSG, Leipzig, two brands. They're no football clubs. No, you're right, they're brands. Do you think there's an element, and again, I'm not being disparaging to anybody whatsoever, Stevie, because everybody wants different things. People have different ambitions in life and for their football team. Do you think that there is a quite a big element? The Celtic supporters are quite happy to be dominant within the Scottish football goldfish bowl. And as long as we are doing better than the team playing out at Ibrox, then they're satisfied. I think to the end of this season... I think that would be the case. Mm-hmm. I think, not not the most, but there would be quite a high percentage of Celtic fans, no happy getting knocked out of the Champions but would forsake it to get 10 in a row. Yeah. But I think you only need to go back a few years ago when Ronnie Dahlia was in charge before we brought in Ren- Brendan and we had all the banners in what we would call the, the traditional Rangers end. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we get to 10, there's that demand where, say, the testimony of loyalty Celtic fans this year paying the season tickets when there's no guarantee they're even going to see a game. It, it's a great testament to them, so congratulations to them for doing that. Is a living going to have the same attraction to them? 
So would do we then need to look at other revenue streams mm. which may be playing in a different league? Mm-hmm. Again, we will cover it um, if and when that happens, Stevie. We'll cover it in depth because domestic de- domination is a priority. Absolutely, of course it is. But then you've got to look when we're celebrating the greats. It makes you look back and makes you realise where we were in terms of European football. How do you get back there? Well, we can't. We simply can't in Scottish football. So a move may be necessary if that is the ambition of the club. And of course the support, because the support drive a lot of what the club uh, does. It always has been the case. Now there's loads of other uh, stories and names to get through, Stevie. But I think before we get onto the football, let's talk a wee bit about suicide prevention and also uh, the drug problem, the mounting drug problem that we face in this country. Well, today is Suicide Prevention Day. Almost three quarters of death by suicide are by men. If you feel hopeless and alone, you're not alone. Do not be part of the heartbreaking statistics. Ask for help. So that leads me on to the drug (coughs) statistics. The drug deaths from 1997 to 2007 was 3,655. From 2008 to 2018, it was 7,605. So preventable deaths were more than doubled. There's massive constitutional changes needed to this. I'd spoke to Paul Sweeney, who was the previous MP for Glasgow North East. And again, Paul wasn't everybody's cup of tea. He was a very, very clever man, man, excuse me. And I'd spoke to him about (coughs) adopting the Portuguese method, Mm. which is very, very successful. So the Portuguese model was called the drug strategy and it was put in place in 2000 and legally effective from July 2001. It was implemented to reduce HIV AIDS cases. So in 2001, they decriminalised all drugs in Portugal and it's seen dramatic drops in overdoses, HIV infection and drug-related crimes. One in 100 Portuguese was battling a problematic heroin addiction. Rather than being arrested, they were sent to a local commission, a doctor, a lawyer and a social worker. So 104.2 new cases per million in 2000 was reduced to 4.2 new cases per million by 2015. The language changed from the derogatory junkies to people who use drugs. The needle exchange programme and consumption rooms are brought in. Mm. So my story about a, a drug addict that breaks my heart every time I hear it was a young girl, Emma Caldwell, who was tragically murdered. Mm-hmm. And every time it's reported, you know, in the BBC news, the Scottish news, newspapers, they always class what the girl ended up as being a prostitute. Yep. And I think it's heartbreaking to decide that because this addiction can happen to anybody. Mm. Don't think you feel you're safe from this because you come from a good environment, you try to bring up your children properly. This can happen to anybody. So it also impacts in suicide, Yeah, impacts in homelessness, and it can happen to anybody. So it's just to make people aware, we're not going to labour the point too much, but on this day, in Suicide Awareness Day, I think this is one of the things that's going to contribute greatly to it, and it's to make people aware of it. Steve, it is important. As you say, we won't labour it. I mean, in in relation to to suicide, um, and I know the statistics are massive for for males, it's important to focus on everybody. We had a a great guest in just last week on one of our other shows, Libby Emerson, who was speaking about, 
you know, suicide prevention and getting back on side, which is the name of the charity that she runs. But um, a couple of the local guys that uh, came up through the, the villages in Fife um, supported the other side, uh, you know, to just to let you know that one of the brothers was Bobby, the other one was Russell, right? Um, the Dunsmore brothers and both of them committed suicide. I played football with Russell, young man, terrible, terrible, because obviously what the family goes through after that is just, you can't put it into words. And it hits the community, it hits the friends, you know, you ask all these questions. And then similarly with the drugs, it's a very important thing that you said there, no one's immune. So never ever look at somebody as a junkie, that's a horrible word, we should outlaw it. Because you know what, it could be any member of your family that goes down that horrible dark path. So, you know, it's very important for us to continually send that message out. I think what needs to happen is uh, the government needs to look at ensuring that the 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 correct funding is available to prevent these things. Because I think one of the biggest issues with suicide prevention groups is they struggle. They really, really struggle with the funding. And then, of course, um, with the, the funding being pulled left, right and centre in our country, uh, and the drug deaths go up, it's quite a, a stark, realistic view of you remove that funding and the drug deaths continue to rise, you know. So we're not going to labour it, but it's important there is for everybody. a term for the people who are left behind, Paul, and it's sort of a more modern one, and it's the survivors of suicide. Mm -hmm. And that's the people who are left behind to try and contemplate. But it's just a comfort. Your child, your son, your daughter, your dad, your mum, anybody... They didn't do it. The illness done it. They they weren't walking away. They, they're victims, mm -hmm. and it's the illness that killed them. They've, they've not chosen to do that. The illness killed them. Mm -hmm. And if I could just say one more thing, if it's okay, if you think somebody's in trouble, and it's going to be the most difficult question you'll ever ask them, ask them if they've made a plan. If they say yes, they're going to seriously complete the suicide. Get the police involved right away. Don't muck about. Get it involved. It's a hard question to ask, but don't be afraid to ask it. You're saving somebody's life. Oh, great advice, Stevie. Great advice. And we'll continue to send that message out where we can. Let's get back to football. That old thing called football. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
for a moment. Lewis Ferguson. Now, you're taking credit for Shane Duffy because you mentioned it on here before I had looked and seen it anywhere else that Celtic were interested. And a great friend of ours, James Simonetti, mentioned Lewis Ferguson. So um, he made that up. Weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> I think he just pulled that name out of a hat. But there you go. Um, it's become a thing now, though. Uh, you know, he is a guy that's been linked and obviously his uncle Barry was speaking about him the other day saying he wouldn't be averse to a move to, Ranger, uh, to Celtic, rather. I would have no issue. The Rangers thing doesn't come into my, my sphere of thinking. If he's a good enough player, I would sign him. Um, I think he's definitely one for beyond the 10. It all depends. I, I would believe it all depends on whether or not we sell someone like Olivia Encham, uh, depending on the kind of money that's been um, offered for him. What's your take on Lewis Ferguson? Do we, all, do we already have enough cover? We've brought in Turnbull, one of the other great Scottish prospects, or would you start buying up players like Lewis Ferguson for what happens after the 10? Should we, should we win that? I, I think we need to have a wee look to the future and sign a combative midfielder. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two young Scottish talents. Lewis Ferguson's one of them, you know, who started at Rangers, which I wasn't aware of before he moved back to Hamilton. And then he's moved to Aberdeen. The other one would be the boy Alan Campbell at Murrayville, although Murrayville must be going, oh, no, I don't know, i got to sign another one of our players. I don't know if he's just at that level yet, but I would have no problem. And as say, don't want to keep quoting Barry Ferguson on your show, but he says they would have no objection. All they want to do is the boy of his best career, mm-hmm. and Celtic could give him that. And, they, and they, they obviously don't think Lewis Ferguson would have a problem coming to play, even though his dad and his uncle played for Rangers. Well, this is the thing. It's, it's always a problem. I think it's mainly a problem to, to the fans. Um, when you look at all the great Celts who were perhaps brought up as Rangers fans and Famously, Kenny Dalglish doesn't and has never hidden the fact. Um, interestingly enough, Danny McGrain will tell you he was never a Rangers fan. Um, and I love hearing him saying that he was never a Rangers fan. But um, there's plenty there's plenty of players out there who played for Celtic who were brought up as Rangers fans and vice versa. I mean, Neil McCann, the other week his name popped into conversation. Neil McCann was a Celtic fan through and through. There's been various others, Stevie. I don't think it's that important because if you're a professional, that doesn't come into it. The flip side of that is you, you bring in a Shane Duffy from the Republic of Ireland and he actually does get the club and that's great. But if you're a professional and you've got the talent, I'd, I'd take Lewis Ferguson all day long. Good player. Good player, as I say. And why you know he's a good player is if Celtic only playing and you watch Aberdeen, he stands out. Mm-hmm. You know, other guys you bypass and they don't come into your vision, you, you don't notice them. Even when he plays against Celtic, you always notice Lewis Ferguson, whether it's for a tackle, whether it's for... But he always contributes to the game. He does. He does. Do we have a contingency for Scott Brown? In the current squad, I, I don't think we do. Mm-hmm. I don't think we do. Well, I've not seen enough of Sorrow who might give you that thing. But as I say, you're going to have to get them games. I think Neil, now especially after getting knocked out of Europe, is going to protect himself and always pick the sort of established guys because I've seen some comments they say that Celtic fans you know we can try youths in the League Cup the first League Cup game we lose and lose it in the treble the place is going to get a meltdown I know that's a nice thought but blood these guys in these cup competitions our record's sensational you lose a game and it's Armageddon you don't want to lose it because you're putting half a dozen youngsters you know and 
you know, a, a proportion of the blame would obviously be on Neil Lennon's head, even though some Celtic fans would suggest it's good to play the young guys. But we've seen it. We've seen it against Morton, remember? Uh, Dougie Emery, I think, scored the winner. Mm-hmm. one nothing game. We've seen it in the past. And, you know, there's there's various banana skins. Even when you play your top team, it can be difficult sometimes against lesser opposition. So it's maybe not the best way. The Colts argument, I think, um, is something that we'll revisit time and time again. And hopefully that will develop into uh, fruition in time, Steve. I'm going to go through some of the, the comments that people are making before we move on via YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. If you are viewing us on YouTube, welcome to the show. Uh, remember and subscribe because we are trying to build our subscription base. It's all free. We're not asking for any money. Uh, Red Scotland, who is a regular contributor, welcome back. If Odson was currently moving from one EPL club to another, he would uh, not go for a penny less than £50 million. And even that is perhaps undervaluing him. So when the time comes, Celtic must stand firm. I think I was criticised for saying uh, fairly recently, Stevie, that Odson Edward, sorry, um, Olivier Encham, his French counterpart, had been uh, spoken up on a move to Southampton, Porto. I think Leon were maybe interested. Previous to that, West Ham had shown an interest. And the figure quoted originally was £20 million, and that's the figure that I quoted. And I was criticised for just quoting a figure. Um, I think at the time of Celtic's underselling players, is gone. When you look that Ollie Watkins has moved for 33 million and someone's made a great point and I'm going to read it out in a moment. We can't let our players go for, for peanuts. We really can't anymore. So Encham's maybe not a first pick and I'll reveal that he's not in any of my two teams that I'm going to read at the end of this podcast. But we can't let a first team player go uh, for a pittance. We, we can't allow that to happen anymore. So when people are talking about a player leaving Celtic for 30, 35, 40 million pounds. In Eduard's case, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. I think the great thing is if you've got them on a contract, you know that you've got quite a few years to deal with it, then I think you can be a wee bit more specific and a wee bit more demanding. Mm-hmm. When they're getting nearer and nearer the end of the co- contract, you know, it's two and then it's going to 18 months, you can be conflicted. Do you cash in, get something, allow them to run it down and get nothing? But if we've got on a quite a strong position and the demand for your players good then as say the the example I gave last week was Matty Cash who was going to be transferred for 15 million quid for Nottingham Forest in the Premier League and by the best will in the world to Matty Cash be good be professional in champs twice the player's going to be the guy Watkins only got transferred three years ago from Exeter to Brentford for a million quid Eddie Costa is nine million quid mm-hmm. you know so We've buying a quality project and improving them. We, we could demand whatever we need to get for him. Now, going a wee stage further than, than what you said there in relation to uh, Watkins, um, IH Decorating. I hope uh, that decorating wee plug there worked well for you there. Um, you're commenting on YouTube. Ollie Watkins, 24 years of age. 25 in December, international caps, zero. Under 21 caps, zero. Youth international caps, zero. Premier League goals, zero. Champions League goals, zero. Europa League goals, you've guessed it, zero. Price 33 million. When you compare that to, you know, the, what Edward's already achieved, if you, if you just take the international performances, for example, uh, for France, under 21, and all the underaged groups below the under 21s, it's astronomical what he's done in relation to goals against games, Stevie. Um, the ratio's frightening. So when you're looking at Eduard, 
it suits them to say that Scottish football is a tin pot league. You know, it does suit them to say that. Would they be prepared to spend that kind of money for uh, a, a player from the Scottish League? What's the biggest fee for any player playing in Scotland? Is it Kieran Tierney at 25? So if that's the record, would they would they go above 30, 35, 40? Would they go to that level? We know if Edward signs for an English team or does what Dembele does, uh, did and goes back to one of the, the big French sides and starts to score goals, gets capped for France, then you can, I mean, the figure then is you're talking 60, 70, it goes into a different stratosphere. So I think, I, listen, make sure everybody realises I don't want him to go for anything. I don't want Edward to go for any fee. We've got trophies to win this season. He's a big part of that for me. But when the time comes, we can't sell him short. No, but if you're looking for big game players, I'd imagine the biggest games that that boy played for Brentford were the games when we started for the Championship when Brentford were got gunning for promotion to the Premier League I watched all the games on TV now Edward Dembele scored Champions League games Europa League games that boy was absolutely hopeless mm-hmm. in the games when the pressure was on when his club needed a goal he couldn't have done it I'm not going to go back to the old saying about what he couldn't score in but he was absolutely hopeless and he's went for 33 million. Yeah. So, Edward, if he was to go, which I hope he don't, I hope he signs the extension, you know, put the sellout clause in it, but he's head and shoulders above him. I, I still think someday, be it for the France uh, national side or for a big club probably in England, someday we will see Dembele and Edouard teaming up and when we see that, that's, that's a frightening prospect. But I think it's testament even to Celtic in this current age, you know, where we, we all sort of know how we're going to do it. We're going to bring these guys in, help them to develop, let, allow them to move on. I think that's part of the reason they come. We'll help us develop and then we'll let you go. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's testament to what Celtic's doing and how it's working so well. But if we were able to go to a different league, bring in that ballot, then they would be doing it for us. Yeah. Because no, you're absolutely right. They, they can still stay in Scotland or the beautiful parts of Scotland and be able to play at Celtic Park. You know, mm-hmm. what, what could you wish for more than that? Now, we have a message from Gary Doonan. Welcome back, Gary. You're commenting via Facebook. We're going back to the late, great Jockstein here. Went to the Pogues concert at the Barras the night after and dedicated a song to Jock. Good on you, Shane. Uh, we also had Spider Tracy listening to a Celtic State of Mind, or he was on the website he mentioned the other week there. So good on Spider Tracy as well. Or is it Spider Stacy? I don't know. I need to check. Uh, Kevin Graham, I noticed Steve McGowan in the Daily Mail this morning preparing us for Ayer leaving for around 15 million. He's usually spot on. I think Steve McGowan's broken a few things recently that have been pretty pretty accurate, Stevie. Um, Ayer going for around 15 was the £27 million quoted far too high? I think it's it's far too high for Christopher Ayer. I, I, I even believe that if you get £15 million, I, I think that's a good deal for Celtic. I, I don't see him as a, a long-term Celtic central defender. I think his Christopher Ayer head's been turned and he wants to go. So I know the wee guy, I hate the paper he writes for, mm. but I, I know he gets a lot of good Celtic stories. He does, and um, I have asked him on the podcast a few times. <laughs> uh, Red Scotland has given us his first 3-5-2, Stevie, so here we go. Duffy, is he a goalie? Ah, you forgot your goalie there. Anyway, Duffy, Julien and Ayer. Elhamid, Taylor as wing-backs. Brown, McGregor, Christie, Edward and Ajeti. 
I'm going to I'm going to throw in Barkas and goals there. Let me know if you would rather play Scott Bain. So that that's the three five two that Red Scotland's gone for. Uh, very interesting. If you agree or disagree, throw in your teams, throw in your suggestions. We've got Francie Dobellu. Welcome back, sir, and you're commenting on YouTube. Good afternoon, gents. In comparison to Watkins, Odson would be at least fifteen million pound more as he is doing the business at under twenty one level and in Europe also. I mean, you've got to gauge it on European and you and uh, international football because you know if you're just going to compare it on the Scottish game these other clubs in these other countries don't rate Scottish football so if you're doing it in Europe as uh, Edward certainly is as Dembele did before him as Tierney did before him Tierney shown in, in the European games and you're doing it on an international level then you are moving into the realms of this kind of money you know I think if they're sort of being a bit disparaging about the Scottish league you know, if you watch some of the games on Sky from the Championship, let, let, let me tell you that they're, they're no any better. No. Some of the teams are absolutely dreadful, you know, and they, they're still playing with the riches of the Premier League with the, due to the parachute payments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the money the money is just, you know, it's obscene. It's actually obscene. Um, and uh, we've also got uh, Chango Chalemba. Hopefully I've pronounced your name right. Yeah, commenting on YouTube. A drama epic biopic should be made called Lisbon Lions. There's been plenty of good documentaries made about the Lisbon Lions, Stevie. Um, quite recently, the one that was made, I think it was for the BBC, the one that won the BAFTA, yep. um, by James McLernan or McLennan, uh, who's been on the, the podcast, so I should know his name. Uh, he was on the podcast before I won a, he won a BAFTA and then he went out and won the BAFTA on the Monday. So when we put the podcast out, we could see it was from BAFTA winner. Um, but he he was um, he was very, very, for me, very humble. He, he was just happy to be there. But that film was unbelievable, in particular Bertie Old. I just find it really, really sad when I, I watch these things, you know, when you see them saying, you know, they're nearly in tears and I miss my pals and... You know, it's oh, heartbreaking. You know, we, we were only lucky enough to see them. Maybe a wee bit fortunate some of us were able to meet a few of them. But that, that was their pals. That was who they grew up with. You know, they became men together, you know, and had this bond the rest of their life, you know, and then as they're getting few and they're, they're getting frail. Really, really sad, you know. Sometimes you're sitting watching these things, you're, you're crying, you know. it's Your, your <coughs> childhood's disappearing in front of your eyes. You know, we had Jim Craig in, in one of the earlier Celtic State of Mind interviews up at Stirling and he was in tears and everybody in the room was not far behind him. Like, you know, Phil Differ starts talking about the Lisbon Lions, he starts crying. You know, and there's, I think in that BBC documentary, um, it's John McClaverty. I don't know what's happening with my brain today. It's not James McLernan, it's John McClaverty that was a director. Um, and he was talking about, you know, interviewing Bertie Old and Bertie becoming very emotional. Because there is that um, feeling that we're we're nearing we're nearing that stage of our lives now yep. where there's less and less Lisbon lines and I think the only way really to remember them is like you say let's put the statues right up the Celtic Way, Stevie. I, I always feel a bit sorry for Jim Craig. Jim was all sort of classes an academic, mm-hmm. you know, which sort of put having a different level for the sort of cheeky chappies like maybe Bertie etc. Where, but he's still a man. He's still in the emotions. And they were still his pals. You know, because you're clever, that doesn't mean you don't suffer the same emotions as everybody else. And you see him t- in tears at some of the end of these productions. Oh, no. I think it's sadder, mm-hmm. you know, because they're put on this pedestal, but, or oh, they're clever, so they don't have that range of emotions. 
Oh, tragic, absolutely tragic. Break your heart. It does, it does. Now, an interesting one here because we've spoken about it before coming on to the show, Stevie. Follower Celtic uh, commenting on Twitter, unsure with selections, should we start with Duffy? Now, that's, that is a dilemma. Should you throw Duffy right in there? I think that's one of the, the most difficult parts about picking these teams, particularly when you are looking at the four four two. Do you play Duffy? Why would you break up the Julian Ayer partnership? Something to consider. Whether or not I've picked Duffy from a four four two will become clear. Um do we give Turnbull a start? Is that the the best the best game to play him in? I mean he knows the game, doesn't he? He obviously does. Um would you throw him in? If so, who comes out? That's another big kind of question. And uh whether or not I've picked him, I can tell you I haven't. I haven't. Maybe I'm playing too safe. Uh, we shall see. Now Red Scotland's also coming in with these four four two. He has played Barkas. El Hamid, Julian, Duffy and Taylor, so no place for Ayer. Forrest, Brown in brackets in Cham, McGregor, El Yunusi and Edward Ayeti up front. So would it be Brown? Would it be in Cham? I don't know. Um, that's the question. I'm going to give Sahan away. Mings would be Brown. I would play Brown in, in there. And again, that's that's a matter for debate as well. Mark Duffy, 3-5-2. Barkas and goals, Julian, Duffy and Ayer. McGregor and Cham Turnbull, Forrest, Frimpong, Edward and Ayeti. That's a you know, that'd be an entertaining team to watch, Stevie. What's your thoughts on that one? I think you just need to you need to decide who you're going to be playing against, how you want to play. You've got to get a balance to your team. The first point I've made about Shane Duffy and my wee notes for we're going to read out the teams would be his concentration levels. Shane Duffy's going to be facing something playing for Celtic he's never faced before. Mm-hmm. And that's how be playing with a team that has a majority of possession of the ball. Yeah. So he's going to have to concentrate. His great strengths is defending. So he's let sometimes you sign a goalie who's always all action for another team, but Celtic he's only got two saves to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Shane Duffy's going to be faced with a test that he's never faced before. So it's something he's going to... I watched these two games playing for the Republic of Ireland and see, I, I've championed for Celtic to sign him. He looks a wee bit short fitness-wise just now. So I think the two games would have helped him massively. Mm. And I think playing in a three would help Shane Duffy as well. We'll start talking about the team. We'll start talking about the team because we are at that stage of the podcast and the show. Um, you mentioned there about Duffy getting games and I think that's that's important. I also think it's important um, that some of the other players on international duty were getting minutes um, as well because, I mean, we haven't seen, for example, Ayeti. We haven't seen him starting for Celtic yet, Stevie. And um, you know, both of the the lineups or the proposed lineups of three five two are going to have two forwards. Lennon might not pick a forward. Who knows? But um, that would suggest that Ayeti is going to make his first start on Saturday. Do you think he's ready? I think he's ready. Yeah, I think he's. If, if footballers should never be that unfit. That they can't get ready in two and three weeks' time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're training every day, they've got sports scientists, they've got dietitians, you know, they're not coming back like Ricky Hatton between fights of putting seven stone. You know, so you should be able to get it. You know, we've got all these magic parts at Lennox down. Get games. Yeah. You know, play wee bounce games, play this team against that team. It's no a competitive match, but you should be able to play. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, if, if a Yeti isn't fit to play, then put Clamala in alongside Edward. Well, we've seen him in action and uh, scoring as well. And again, if you're playing a three-five-two, it doesn't need to 
necessarily be two forwards. You mm-hmm. could have an advanced midfielder playing behind it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's different ways to play. So we want to go through the teams now, is that what you're telling me? Shall I go th- for 3-5-2 first? Shall okay, I tell you my you selection? Yep. Barkas and goals for me. Right. If you're playing three at the back, then I would go with Julien, Duffy and Ayer. I think Julien would be your right-sided. I think he's comfortable there. I actually think Ayer's comfortable there as well. Uh, Duffy would be your pivot right in the centre. And going back to something you mentioned before, uh, I might set up what would be the middle of the park in midfield with, with actually two players, McGregor and Brown. And then in front of them, you've got Christie. You've got El Yunusi on the left, Forrest on the right. Although I don't think El Yunusi's started the season off particularly well yet. The goal he scored the other night was unbelievable. The way he brought that ball down and then in one movement slotted it away was it gave you an indication of what he can do. I'm starting to wonder if if the left hand side's his best position, Stevie, but I'm going to play him there in the three five two. And I would I would start a Yeti up front alongside Eduard. And uh, that would be my three five two. What about yourself? Well no far away. I've got Barkas in goal. I've got El Hamid at the right of the three. I've got Duffy in the centre and Julian at the left. I've got McGregor sitting in front and the reason for that is he's got great positional sense so when they need to tackle as often. To the right of him, just a wee bit more advanced, would be Turnbull, who's a box-to-box player. Mm -hmm. To the left, in the centre of the mid, would be Christie. Although my concern was I think he needs to become more of a team player. I think a lot of the stuff Ryan Christie does in is to enhance Ryan Christie. Mm -hmm. Wide right, I would have James Forrest. On the left, I would have Elianusi. My wee notes in him is he looks more comfortable and confident with Norway. Don't know if right now if Celtic's maybe still too big for him mm-hmm. because the the massive crowd or the record crowd that bows thirty seven thousand. Right. You know, so maybe come at Celtic's just too big a club for him and he'll grow into that. And I would have Eddie and a Yeti in front of him. That would be my three five two. Now yeah, quite a similar uh lineup, Stevie. Of that, I'm, I'm most interested to note that Turnbull makes an appearance. Yep. I'm looking forward to seeing him, and we've spoken about how you fit him into the into that part of the the the, the team um, at the expense of Scott Brown. Yes, yeah, yeah. And is that more or less a situation where Brown will come back in, play a lot of games, and and you start kind of rotating the midfield positions? I think it's. I, I think we should be steamrolling teams in Scotland. And I know there'll be other games when we need to be a wee bit defensively minded and I would change the formation that we've done. Mm-hmm. If we're going to Ross County Saturday, I want fresh, young guys with legs who are going to run Ross County after feet because if we can match them for the effort that they're going to put in, and I've listened to the supporters liaison officer for Ross County talking, and he was talking yesterday, we'll just take it right in the Celtics face. So if we can match that, then our ability to take it through. So if we've got all these young guys, 21 years of age, they should be able to run all day. Mm-hmm. With the ability we go, if we start up with that line-up, with that and pitches, then I think we would be able to demolish Ross County. Again, if you're going to go a wee bit more defensive, they could move El Hamid to the right wing-back position, yep. bring Ayer in and replace Ellen with Taylor. You know, it's no rocket science if you need to be attacking or you need to be defensive. Mm-hmm. It's only one or two wee changes. I know you're very impressed with El Hamid, so am I, uh, to be fair. I do think, though, I do think that Ayer and Julien 
have got a decent partnership and I know that they've, they've come in for some criticism, particularly at Rugby Park. Um, but I do, I still believe in that partnership. I just felt that Duffy being added to that um, would solidify it as part of a back three. Um, another couple of names, just before we move on to the four four two, because we've not been mentioned in any of our team lines, and I'm not surprised at this, to be honest with you, but they have been discussed again uh, by Neil Lennon this week, and it's Tom Rogic and Lee Griffiths in relation to getting them fit and getting them back in uh, to the reckoning. It looks as though the Tom Rogic transfer has uh, collapsed, so he's going to remain at Celtic for the time being. And if that's the case, does Celtic then look at maybe Encham as, as someone who might leave the building? Uh, and then, of course, Griffiths, who we haven't seen for some time now. And I think you and I would both like to see him back in the in the running for a first-team jersey, wouldn't we? Yeah. I, I think both of them will go. I think Tom Rogic, the deal fell through for the, obviously this obvious move, but I think he'll be away by the 5th of October. Mm-hmm. If he's willing to go, Celtic will willing to sell him. Somebody else will come in and give you that money. Now, do you think that um, in relation to uh, Lee Griffiths, if he was to go, um, where does he go? That's one of the big you know, questions for me because would you be confident in Lee Griffiths? And, you know, there's no, there's no club in Scotland um, because he's not going to go to Rangers, obviously. There's no club in Scotland could buy him. Lee Griffiths because you're not going to just give him the guy away the guy with the goal scoring record he has particularly domestically for Celtic there's nobody Aberdeen couldn't buy him from Celtic Hibs couldn't buy him from Celtic do Celtic do a deal with someone like Hibs whereby Lee Griffiths doesn't play against us but you know he becomes a weapon for Hibs because he certainly would become a weapon for Hibs uh, or Aberdeen or is his future outside the Scottish game I would love him to stay at Celtic but he's got to be available to play. We can't always make excuses for Lee, which we're all inclined to do. He's got to be available for games. You know, he had these problems last season. He said these problems at this season. We've out of the Champions League, we've not got a centre forward, Lee's not available. So I think the problem with Lee is, when does Lee make himself available? Has he received the correct help to make himself available? If he's not, I don't think he should stay in Scotland. I think he should go elsewhere and maybe resurrect his career because he's maybe got one big move left mm-hmm. to try and establish some financial security for himself. If he doesn't, then I would worry about League Griffiths' future. I'm the same. I'd love to see him in a Celtic jersey, but if not, for his own benefit and for the good of his own health, he's got three or four years to offer somebody, hasn't he? Yes. So you know, and again, go and if, do you're, it. if you're talking about this guy, Brentford are looking for a forward, don't they? You know, plenty of money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we'll watch that one with, with interest. Shall we look at the four four twos? Yep. Right, you want to go first? Right, Barkas, El Hamid, Julianne, Duffy and Taylor. Forrest, Brown, McGregor and Christie with Turnbull just in front of them and Eddie up front. Interesting. Very similar side to the one I've chosen. Um, I have Ayer in for Duffy. I wouldn't throw Duffy right in there if we're playing a four-four-two. I would if we're playing a three-five-two. I have Edward and a Yeti up front, so I don't have Turnbull. But um, very similar side, Stevie. And obviously, on both both teams, you've picked Turnbull. You want to see him playing. Yeah. But the, the wee bit I've put, 
these are my teams, no necessarily what I think Neil Lennon would play. Mm-hmm. Because they say Jim had done it previously, you know, we'd rotate our teams now and then, or oh, you've not got it right. I would never play the same team that Neil Lennon would play, mm-hmm. you know. So you can only pick what you would like to see. And again, we're never really ever going to be proven right or wrong with us because they're never going to play. You know, we've got a manager that doesn't want to play with a forward. No, you're right. And um, another interesting aspect of this uh, weekend's game as well as the fact that it's a PPV, um, which is going to earn some cash for Ross County. Referee, Andrew Dallas. Yep, I've got it there. Incompetence, conscious bias. Mm-hmm. Dundee United, 18 fouls, two yellows. Celtic, 10 fouls, two yellows. 80% more fouls, same punishment. Incompetence, unconscious bias. <laughs> well... <laughs> Someone did make a good point during the week. Yeah, you do get a lot of sense on Twitter. You know, I don't subscribe to the the view that it's just all nonsense. You get a lot of good opinions and and good debate. You still do. You get a lot of daftness as well. But someone did make that that view of you know, imagine being the young boy whose dad was hit with that coin and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, and there was threats and all that around about that time. Would it be impossible not to have an unconscious bias? I think it probably would, but I, I think. You need to call a spade a spade on this occasion, and the boy's hopeless. Oh, he's, Absolutely he's, hopeless. If his yeah. dad wasn't fast tracking him <laughs> through even Fleming and all that, he wouldn't be anywhere. He wouldn't yeah. be able to referee in a public park. No. He's absolutely hopeless. And he's refereeing our game on Saturday. So, two, two in a row. Aye. In St Mirren as well, eh? um, midweek. So when you're looking at that, will. Lennon look at the fact that you know you you've not picked Brown. I've picked Brown in, in both of my sides. You've not picked him in the three five two. Uh, did you pick him in the four four two? Actually, yes, I did, you yeah. did. Um, is he the type of player that you play because of where we are up there? It's a, it's a tough venue at times for Celtic. It's one of the games where you might need that combat, uh, not just against Ross County, but also because you need somebody to be in the ear of the referee, don't you? If I was in anywhere near Celtic first team on Saturday, as soon as Dallas come through the door. I'd be putting pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Before he even get changed, I'd be putting pressure on him. By the way, we all know what you are. And I'd be letting him know right for the start, yep. for everybody behind his back, everything. So he'd be under pressure before on the park because the whole of the world was going to see his incompetence again at the weekend. So he'd be terrified to make a mistake. I'll leave you with a wee story uh, that goes back to the great, the late, great Jockstein on his day of all days. Andy Lynch, as you know, a pal of mine, and uh, I moved in with him to write his book. Um for several weeks it was a good experience to get to know Andy and we spoke about we went through every fixture I had the old Celtic football companion over in Spain and we went through every single game that Andy Lynch played for Celtic some of them I didn't remember I mean, Danny McGreen's a great one for that I played 600 games Paul how am I meant to remember <laughs> that um, but Andy Lynch we went through every game and there was a specific game and he remembered it vividly because he lifted up his um, trouser leg and showed me a terrible scar that he's got on his ankle area. And he, he remembered it was that game. It was against Rangers. And he told me the, the name of the player who I've, I've since forgotten, but it's in the book. Uh, and Neely Mocking at that time was a sponge man. So he ran on after Lynch had been scythed. And he's sponging down his ankle and he's saying to him, Jock told you you would get nothing off of that so-and-so talking about the referee. You know, they knew going into these games, Stevie, back in the 1970s, that that was happening, that we weren't going to get anything from the officials. And we're sitting here in 2020 talking about it for this Saturday's game. I think it was easier to get away with years ago. You didn't have the TV scrutinising everything. 
I think we should be putting pressure to say I brought it up last week when we were talking, you know, yeah. about the things that I thought were injustices towards us, you know. Should we still be able to beat Ross County whether Andrew Dallas is a ref? Yeah, we should. But if you go back to when they knocked us out the cup, you can't do anything about that blatant cheating. No. You know, and if it's a tight game, you know, maybe the wind's blowing, anything can impact on the game and the referee can stop you winning the game. You know, he didn't do anything majorly wrong. Sorry, the wee niggly fouls, breaks up the play, mm-hmm. the fluidity of your play. So as soon as he comes through the door on Saturday, be on his back. Be on his back and say, by the way, the whole world's watching you, son. You know, but how he can allow to be a referee after his dad's <laughs> behaviour, you know, it's absolutely incredible. That's why Scott Brown must play and he'll be the one, he'll be the voice in the ear, as Graham Shinney was telling doing, us about. I think everybody should Oh, be yeah. Who else have we got in the, you know, McGregor? He should be doing that, you know. So, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the game. We will be back for live coverage on Saturday in here with a panel uh, from the Celtic State of Mind team. It's been an absolutely, I mean, it's been a great discussion with you, Stevie, but that's been an hour. I wouldn't I wouldn't think that was an hour, but there you go. Um, it's been brilliant to have everybody involved via Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, but all that's left for me to say is thank you again, Stevie Mullen, for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Thanks for having me, Paul. Thank you. gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.